Glad to be here. How's everybody doing today? As we are, well, that sounded like I'm panicking because Adam just said Christmas is six days away. How is everybody really doing today? Like, that wasn't even much better. There we go. Okay, pick up a little bit. It's, I had a moment last week where it actually hit me, where I was like, Christmas is next week. This is nuts. This year has flown by. I know that um, my wife and I were, were kind of just rehashing this year since we just joined you guys in February, and it's crazy to think that we're at the end of 2021. And if we honestly look at 2020 and 2021, 2022 can only be better, right? The things that are happening in the world. Like they, these two years have set a pretty low bar for how bad can things get at points. But I'm excited to end this year with you guys. I'm excited to have our first Christmas up here in Washington. And I love what this season brings. And I love that we've been getting to talk about Advent and all these things here at, at church together. So before we get started, um, let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this season. I thank you for Christmas. I thank you that my oven is okay. And um, God, I ask that today you, uh, we, we just welcome you in here as we talk about love and, and our final uh, week of Advent leading into Christmas and Christmas Eve. So God, bless us with your presence. Uh, touch every heart and we give you all the praise. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. Now, I heard a rumor, and then I checked it online, and as I talked with people here, I've heard watching the forecast in Washington is really nothing you can compare it to because it's just wrong a lot. They say it could be rainy or cold, and usually they're right, but the days are off on what they're going to say. But I did read and hear that we may get snow on Christmas Eve and or Christmas Day. And I was thinking, how cool would it be at our 11 p.m. service? I know that the goal is to end outside all circled up with our fire, you know, what's while the kids wake up, right, for the fire part, with our candles. But how cool would it be if we were getting a white Christmas at that moment? That would be so, so cool. Um, knowing my luck, we'll get out there and be like, it's snowing. We'll start singing, and then it'll start raining. And it's just, you know, wait, God's way and saying, hi, welcome to Washington, Dustin. But, um, but I'm really, really looking forward to Christmas Eve with you guys. I'm going to have a lot of fun. Um, that 11 p.m. service, I'm really, really excited for. And like we said, bring the kids. Even if as I'm talking, I look over and they are zonked out and just snoring, it is okay because what that means is not only will they wake up for the fun part when we go outside with the candles, but that means Christmas Day you may get a little extra sleep in time. So dads, if you're planning on putting that bike together at 1 a.m. Christmas Eve, you'll have a little bit more sleep as you're putting it together, right? But um, I'm super excited for it, and I hope that you guys join us on Christmas Eve here at church. Now, um, as we get started, you can uh, bookmark or turn your Bibles to a few different passages. Um, Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and 1 John chapter 4. So again, Matthew 2, Luke 2, and 1 John chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I've got a story for you guys. This is called A Tale of Two Farmers. I did not write the story, and it's not about the farmers, Say, but, but it's a tale of two farmers. It goes like this. Once there were two old farmers. They're neighbors, but they have a feud that have been running for a few years. They haven't even spoken to each other in that time. The whole thing started over a cat. The cat was astray, but both of these farmers began feeding the cat and claimed it as their own. From there, everything went downhill. The neighbors quit talking, and the grudge escalated to a point that one of them dug a ditch to reroute a spring to make sure it divided their properties. One day, a carpenter came through looking for work. He knocked on the door of one of the farms, and the farmer said, well, if he's going to try and divide us up with that ditch, then I might as well finish the job. I don't even want to have to look at him. So he asked the carpenter to build a fence all the way around the property, a nice, big, tall fence. 
The carpenter said, oh, okay, I can do that, but it will take a lot more wood than what I'm prepared for. So the farmer went to town to buy more wood, and the carpenter started working with the wood that was in the shed. That farmer came back down the dirt road towards his home, but when he looked across the field, he didn't see a fence going up. Instead of a barrier he wanted, he saw that the carpenter had built a bridge across the creek. And there across the bridge, his neighbor came walking towards him. With an outstretched hand, a big sheepish grin on his face, you're a brave man, he said. I didn't think you'd want to hear the sound of my voice again. Can you forgive me? The first farmer was surprised, and as he reached out to shake his neighbor's hand, he found himself saying, I always knew it was your cat anyways. Interesting story, right? One farmer wanted the wall, but the carpenter that came knew that the wall was not what was needed for these people. When he built a bridge, it started that reconciliation between these two people. Now, this story is by the, the singer-songwriter David Wilcox, and he uses it as an intro to his song called Fearless Love. And this song goes to weave together another narrative about a church protest and a person that gets caught up in this protest remembering Jesus' teaching to his disciples to love their enemies with an example of carrying a Roman's pack twice the distance that the Roman would ask the person to carry it in the first place. And the chorus says, fearless love makes you cross the border. I love that as we talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about Jesus' love today, his love, I mean, Jesus embodied in our world the need, and he is indeed a fearless love, a love that knows no bounds. And simply besides lacking any fear, the love of Jesus overcomes all of our fears. When, when we get to the point where we feel overburdened and taken down, it's the love of him, his perfect all-encompassing love that can get us through all those fears. And we're focusing on that love today that Jesus brought into our world and into our lives. And we're going to talk about how incredible it is that even just at his birth, we get to see the unifying love of Jesus. We're going to unpack that today because I think it's really, really cool when you look at all the pieces and how unifying simply being born the message that was being spread was. So a quick recap on Advent. Advent is coming or arrival, and that's what we've been talking about the past month here. It's a season marked by expectation and waiting. And as we've talked before, it's not just the expectation and waiting for Jesus' coming, but it's an all-encompassing, stretching point of view where we get to look at the Old Testament before Jesus, the promise that he was coming. Then we look at his birth and that he had come. And then it looks even to the future where now we're waiting for him to come back. Past, present, and future all linked together in Advent. It looks back in celebration in the hope that is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, all while looking forward in the hopeful and eager anticipation of his kingdom back here when he returns. It's an active and hopeful wait. And each week we've talked about a different attribute. We did hope, peace, joy, and this week, love. But the point of today, we're going to look at the whole cast of Christmas and how this is a love united. So every week we've kind of taken one family or, or a couple characters and said, this is how this person embodied this element of Advent. This is how we can unpack their story. But today we're going to look at almost the whole Christmas cast and see how this is really love unified together. It's, Christ, his birth, brought a wide variety of people together for a wide variety of reasons. And if we walk through the story in order, we start with Zachariah and Elizabeth and then Mary and Joseph. We just recently talked about them, right? Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary and Joseph. Here you have the old and you have the young. You've got the prophets and covenants of Israel's past and the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah and a special bright young future. The separation of the death of the past and the restoration of life now present. That's what these people embody when they come together in the Christmas story. And then as we move through the Christmas story, we meet the shepherds and the angels. We've got the beings of earth, and if you want to talk about the shepherds, you know, the, the lowly beings of the earth, right? The people, that the, the outcasts, the we are society's low point. And then you've got heaven's high points with the angels. 
and they come together in this perfect unity and moment when they head to the stable where there are animals and humans, the beings of creation all together. And I'm going to go all Charlie Brown on you right now and read this passage in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, starting in verse 8, it says this. In the same region, shepherds were staying out, of the, out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trial, or as we say, a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to people he favors. Such a, such a powerful passage. I can't imagine the anticipation of the angels waiting for this moment where they just got to show their glory to these people and say the Messiah is here. The ultimate act of love is now with you. And then if we look at Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 2, this takes place way later. This is when I talk about the, the, the kings or the, the wise men coming in. So if you have your nativities at home, I've said this before, but you can take those wise men and put them in the other side of the house because they're not quite there yet. But Matthew talks about this. They, they begin their journey to Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these guys see the star, right? The wise men, they, they see the star. Jesus is born. They start following the star, and they've been traveling for a long time. Resuming in verse 9, now to summarize real quick, they go, they meet with King Herod. King Herod uh, lies to him, says, oh, a new king is born. This is great news. You know, what a liar. And he says, tell me where this king is. You know, go there, worship him, come back. I want to worship him too. So then we pick up in verse 9. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until they came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, who were these mysterious strangers, right? We talk about the wise men. Um, you know, a fun fact I did with the youth on a Thursday, I'd asked them, how many wise men are there? They said three. I said, ah, oh, the Bible says some, three gifts, but we don't know how many wise men there were, honestly. We use the number three because of the song. We use the number three because of the gifts, but we, we don't know exactly how many there were. And, and scripture doesn't tell you exactly where they came from. It just says some wise men came. So some scholars think they had come from China. Some scholars think somewhere else in Asia, all we know is they were a ways away. They were a ways away, and it was a long journey to come here. But at any rate, they were most likely astrologers, some kind of rulers. They had prestige and resources. Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were not common gifts. Like, oh, here's a little kid. This is all for you. It was not common stuff to give. They knew, this, they knew the, the level of what they were experiencing, and they honored it in a great way, and they had resources. They're notable, wealthy men. But they also, they demonstrate God bridging a huge divide. Simply with the birth of Jesus, a huge divide is born. You see, the magi are the, these are the esteemed opposites to the lowly shepherds. We have Jesus' birth being announced to the lowest of lows, and then some people that are the highest of highs in the land come over as well to say hi. But most importantly, in this social structure, understand, these are not Jews. These are Gentiles coming to worship the king. This is a culture-shocking moment. 
Their inclusion of the, the birth of Jesus echoes the radical idea that Jesus did not just come for his own people. He did not just come for the Jews. He came to restore all people. He came to love all people, not just the Jews. And, and, and I love this because we, we look at, this is just the birth of Jesus. Simply his birth is causing a divide to shrink. It's causing a chasm to go away where people are already unified and he hasn't even started his ministry yet. He was just born and things are already starting to happen. The Magi, we know, they're also some uh, holy men of sort. They seem to belong to a, a mystical tradition uh, than more than the Jewish leader structure was. But more imp importantly, there was a contrast of their spiritual Jewish leaders of this day. There are, no fad, there are no Pharisees at the birth of Jesus. There are no Sadducees. There are no religious, spiritual VIPs at this moment. Instead, travelers from a different race, a different, different ethnicity, a different culture, receive an audience with King Herod. I'll bet it was a, a bad audience. There were some bad intentions there that God stepped in and made sure nothing bad happened. But they were willing to disrupt their lives. They were willing to say, hey, in the midst of what we're doing, and they were powerful people, we're willing to put all that aside to go on this journey where we don't even know exactly where it's going to take us. We're just going to go to see what is going on. They humbled themselves to worship a baby of a poor, unassuming, lowly couple in the countryside. It's a powerful thing that they did. And this cast of characters that God assembled for the arrival of his son, this is, this is far from the expectations that anyone would have imagined. The people of Israel were waiting for that, that king to come, and the minute he was born, to have this child come and overthrow the government, someone to lead them through a revolution. But they thought, of course, as, as a lot of us would at the time, that when this baby was born, this was going to be a massive proclamation for the world. Like this is, he is born, he's in the castle, he is coming, he has taken over everything. This baby, the world's going to worship this baby and everyone's going to know who he is. But he's not announced that way. What we look at is this ragtag group of people coming around with the shepherds and the manger and the innkeeper. And now these rich magi and powerful magi coming in. But what's crazy is what we look at as a ragtag misfit group of people in this culture, it would have been blasphemous to say that this is how he was going to be born. It would, have been, it would have rocked people's world. They would have said, no way, you're speaking against God by even thinking these things. But that's how he chose to do it. He chose to come in a lowly stable and have this group of unexpected visitors be the ones that get to experience him first. Man, could Jesus have united any more divisions simply by being born? What an incredible unifying story that is. He pretty much covered a lot of different worldviews just by his birth. And in doing so, I think he showed us several things about love that I want to explore today with this story, especially with Advent and love. And first is that Christ is love embodied. Christ is, he is the embodiment, the physical embodiment of love. The Bible talks about love in lots of different places. You, you hear about it in 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John 4, which we're going to read a little bit more of. But we, we hear all this stuff about love in the Bible, that God has love and his love story for all of humanity. But from creation, God shared a time in the garden where he was lovingly walking with people, his companions, his children. And then sin enters the world, bringing death and brokenness and ultimately the separation from God, right? And what's funny is we have this conversation at home every now and then when Stephanie and I, if you haven't picked it up by now, we're very sarcastic with each other. If, uh, if one of us says something sarcastic and the other person gets upset, then we know there's, a really, there's an issue somewhere because we're always doing it. And just the other day, you know, Stephanie told me, she was like, you know what, Dustin, I love you so much, but right now I don't like you. And we have that conversation all the time, and um, not all the time, but you know, you know what I mean. She goes, she, at one point she told me, she, she said, you know what, you're lucky that when we got married, my vows said love. 
All right, it said love. And, um, and I told her, I said, you're right because I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but we love each other. But loving and liking are two different things, right? But I, I know that in this story, we get to see that in these moments, I, I wonder sometimes I, when if I do something wrong or when someone, I read about someone doing something wrong in scripture and sin comes in, I wonder if God goes, I love you, but I don't like you right now, man. Why'd you do that? But I know God's love is so deep. So encompassing. And my daughters will even ask me, they're in this phase now, you know, my 10-year-old and 5-year-old. They'll ask me all the time, Daddy, who do you love more? Aurora will ask, me or Avery? And Avery just goes, me, he loves me more. You know, she, she shouts out with confidence. And um, I usually answer the question by saying, your mom. Who, who do you love more, Dad? Your mom. And then, and then they'll say, no, but like, not mom, but us right now. Who do you love more? I go, well, right now? Who did their chores today? Who has homework to do? Avery, you win. And Aurora's like, oh, she doesn't have chores. I was like, well, you should do yours then, right? You want to move up on this list, okay? <clears throat> and we, we, have, we have lots of fun conversations about love. Then I get to tell them, you know, that I do love them both. Um, and, but a great conversation I get to have with them is I do I usually end that conversation by saying, as much as I love you girls, as much as I love you, there is somebody that I love even more. And they'll both go, yeah, you said it, Dad, Mom. And I go, even more than Mom. To which Aurora was like, oh. What? And I said, Aurora, I love Jesus more than your mom. And I know that because I love him, he allows me to be a good husband. He allows me to be a good dad. And then I tell Aurora, you're lucky you got me as a dad. You could have had a bad dad, but you got me. And then I tell the girls, I, then I end the conversation by saying, and you know who loves you even more than me and mommy? And they know the answer. They say, Jesus. I go, that's right. As much as I love you girls, as much as I, I would do anything, I would give my life for my family say, God already did. He already did that. He loves you more than I ever could. And that's saying a lot because I love you so much. And that's the love that we see here when God sends Jesus down. This proclamation with this ragtag group of people he brings together, that's him saying, I love you more than anything. This is proof of my love for you. The Bible describes Jesus as the groom. The church is his bride. This relationship with God started, he brings us into this relationship of love. Knowing Jesus is having a reunion with love itself. First John chapter 4, uh, John, I love the way he describes the love of God in chapter 4. He says this starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For friend, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he with God and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. 
such a, such a powerful, almost like poem that John is saying right there, bringing love full circle about our attribute and our ability to love, how that comes from God, because God is love. God person, personifies it. This is his nature. His nature is to love us, and he showed it by sending Jesus. When we come to him, when we give him our lives, we are being restored in this perfect love that God offers. We're fulfilled in him. We live in him, and in turn, he lives in us. I think it's great that if you, if you ever want to see the most perfect example of love in all of anything, simply read the Gospels. Start with the Gospels, and you get to see love embodied, walking through, teaching, and talking. Everything Jesus does, he does it with love. Everything. And Jesus did some pretty amazing things. He heals people. He restores people. He turns away the angry crowd. In one story, he is the angry crowd. But he does it all with his intense, amazing, unending love for us. I mean, 1 John 4 says that he's love, and we see in the Gospels that he perfected this love with his birth, with his life, with his death and resurrection. We can always count on God's love. I love that, that when we, we count on him, that's what fuels you. That's what pulls you forward. That is what is perfect. And that brings me to my second point. Love defines and propels us. Love will define and propel you. See, Jesus brought this connection, this reconnection to love himself when he entered the world. Near the end of his earthly ministry, as he gathered with his 12 disciples for the Passover, he, he tells them this in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. As he's, as he's eating with his disciples, he's making sure they understand this big point. It's not going to be about what you put on your t-shirt. It's not going to be about what you put on your social media status. It's not going to be about the political stance that you make, wherever that may be. He says it's going to be how you love people. That's going to be the defining moment because that was Jesus' defining moment for us, how he loved us. This was God's greatest story finally coming down, and every action showed it. He says, we get to go do the same now. Our love is going to be what shows people that we love God, but we've got to love one another. People will know our followers by our actions, by our words, how we act out this love. <clears throat> love defines us, it characterizes us, and at least it should. And I know if you look throughout history of the church, not not this church, but the church in general. When you look throughout history at the church, there are times where the church has done a horrible job at showing the world love. There have been times where the church has been the reason people have turned against each other. There have been times where the church has been the reason nations have gone to war. There have been times where churches and the, the capital C church has rejected people instead of loving people. We can probably all think of uh, different people in our lives that will proclaim to be a Christ follower, but when we think of some of the things they say and some of the things they may do, it makes us cringe because we go, oh man, that's not showing the love of Jesus. Oh man, that's, I can honestly say that sometimes I will hear people saying things and I, I just start thinking, is that going to bring someone to church on Sunday? Or is that going to make someone go by and go, they hate me if I walk in there? Our actions need to be those that bring people in. Jesus constantly drew people to him. I love that the people that were the outcasts of society because of the message Jesus was preaching, who were the people that were attracted to him? The ones that everybody hated, they were coming to Jesus. They were coming to him because of his perfect love. And that's what we get to do as a church. We don't have to look at people and say, that person is 100% different. I don't want to love them. Whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, masks or no masks, left or right, or somewhere in the middle, no matter where you stand, Jesus' love gets to be the thing that puts us all together and doesn't push anybody away. 
It's easy to love someone when they agree with you 100% all the time. It's not easy when someone starts showing their differences. Maybe some light ones, maybe some big ones, but that's where love gets hard. But I love that not only were we made in God's image and we have so many characteristics of God with our creativities and personalities, but we obviously are different because we are not perfect and we sin, but God's love brings us to him constantly through that. When we encounter people and we encounter differences, we don't get to look at that as something to divide us. We get to look at that as a way to show each other this is how God works through our differences and through our differences how we can expand the kingdom. We can't just look at others and say, and what they think. We've got to look at ourselves too. None of us are perfect as individuals or as a collective church. I know, shocker, we are not a perfect church. Man, it hurts me to say that, right? We are not a perfect church because we are made up of not perfect people. But we do get to follow the example of perfect love. Each of us can find opportunities, not just in this Christmas season, but moving forward in our, our cultural climate right now to allow God's love to flow through us regardless of opinions, regardless of stance, regardless of your favorite sports team. We can love each other, guys. And on that note, my last point is this. Love empowers us to cross borders. Love empowers us to cross so many borders. And, uh, and we, we've said it all throughout the year because it's crazy. The more reports you read, you, read, you don't read a lot about unifying right now. You still read about division. I think it was about six months ago that the report came out and said the United States is about as divided right now as it has been since the Civil War. And what's crazy is we may not be literally at war shooting at each other, but our words are like those fiery darts, aren't they? We tear each other apart with our words, and it doesn't seem like in the past six months the world has come closer together. The divide is still there. It's still big. It's still strong. It seems our culture, our nation, our world, people have multiplied the ways to divide us. It, it seems like there, there's us's and there's them's, and, and we run around, and, and there, there can be high emotions all over the place, but it's by no excuse, no means of an excuse, but throughout history, our world has been filled with war. Our world has been filled with oppression. There have always been the, the weak. There have always been the powerful. There's been the, the people that have, the people that, that have not. There's been so much of us versus them since Jesus' day. And even further back, if you read through scripture, there was still the us and the them and the fighting. And it's, it's sad, honestly, when you get to this point. And we know what we know, but there still is division. But this is why Jesus' teaching was so radical. It's why God's love was so radical that no one had ever seen anything quite like it. Matthew 5, 43 says this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let that last line just sit there for a second. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, love your enemies, it will drive them crazy. I was like, I want that. That sounds good. But love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus didn't only tear down the walls of division at his birth. He continuously throughout his life reached across the chasm of separation, reached across the chasm of division and exclusion, and brought people in. He befriended tax collectors. These were the traitors of the time. These were Jewish people working for the Romans, stealing people to, to not only make their masters happy, but to, to line their own pockets as well. Jesus went to them and befriended them. He even invited one of them, Matthew, to follow him. He said, come and follow me. The world hates you. Matthew, you hate you. I love you. Come follow me. And Matthew's world was forever changed. 
He spoke with a Samaritan woman at the well, which broke a couple different societal taboos at that time. And not only were Samaritans the people that everybody hated, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans because those were like the, 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 the mix-up of the Jews and the Gentiles. And they had their own nation and the Gentiles hated them. The Jews hated them. They were the outcasts amongst outcasts. Jesus goes to Samaria, speaks to this woman at a well. And not only is that taboo, but he speaks to a woman in the middle of the day at a well when people wouldn't even, her own people wouldn't even speak to her at that time in the middle of the day at the well. But Jesus did. He told people other crazy things. He said, hey, if a dreaded Roman soldier tells you carry your pack for a mile, you know what I want you to do? Carry it for two miles. And this was something the Romans did. They could do it and they did do it. Jesus was saying, we're breaking down barriers. We're going to show love in the midst of hatred and disunity and just all these horrible things. One of Jesus' most powerful story about this kind of unexpected love is the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Most of us know how the story goes, right? There's a traveler who's robbed and beaten and left for dead. And there's some people that pass him as he's laying there dying. A priest comes along, but when he sees him, he passes on by. A Levite, a man of the law comes. He does the same thing. But then a Samaritan comes. He sees the Jewish man. Remember, enemies, Samaritans and Jews. But when the Samaritan sees this man, he bandages his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He delivers him to an inn where he pays the innkeeper to take care of him. And he even says, I'm going to come back to settle the bill if this wasn't enough. These are enemies fighting each other. And he comes and shows him an incredible act of love. This is a good and challenging story for us today, but this was astounding to Jesus' listeners. I can't imagine the, the faces as the story came, and when he told the story, the cringing look on the face of, really? That was the neighbor? But that was. The racism against Samaritans went back centuries when the kingdom of Israel split. This was not just a, oh yeah, this year we decided not to like these people. This was embedded into culture. This is growing up going, hey, this is your family, and we hate them. This was taught behavior. And Jesus says these are the people that he's going to use in his love story. The Jews considered them an inferior race with a corrupt religion, viewed them with prejudice and disdain. But Jesus uses them as an example of this is loving your neighbor. And it wasn't an example of a Jew reaching across. He's the example of the enemy reaching across to make it even more powerful to the people hearing it. Jesus was crossing a divide. Jesus crossed this huge divide. His example allows us to cross the divide. He reached across a spiritual divide. It was a political divide. It was a racial divide and calls us to do the same to this day. He was illustrating this kind of love that John describes. And if we continue in 1 John 4, this time starting in verse 18, John says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And Jesus' love is a fearless love that, that, that calls us. It, it enables us to cross a border. It enables us to cross down a, a divide. It enables us to look at whatever walls have been built up in our life and say, I'm going to tear these walls down. I'm going to get rid of these because that wall is stopping me from showing the love of Jesus to someone who I don't think deserves it. Maybe you know they don't deserve it. You look at you're like, man, look at this person. Look at what they've done to me. Look at what they've done to my neighbor. Look at what they've done to us, just the world. They don't deserve love. But Jesus, God could say the same thing about us. He could say, well, if you want to examine your life, here's everything we've said and done. And he still loves us. We get to take down our walls, take down our barriers, and show that love to our neighbors. It's the, the fear that we may have. Let love drive it out. 
Let love overcome anything that's holding you back. Let it pass someone who may not look like you, someone who may not sound like you, someone who may not think like you, but let it overpass that so you can love them too. Maybe reaching across this divide begins right at home with your family. Maybe you get to look right at your family and say, this is how I can love someone who maybe it's really, really hard to love right now. Maybe it's someone uh, else in your home. Maybe it's someone in your neighborhood. Maybe it's someone in your workplace or your community. I know we all can probably think of someone right now, if I I were to say, think of someone you don't love, you could probably have a, there it is, someone just screaming. I would challenge you this week, how can you show love to that person? How can you, what wall do you need to tear down to say, I can go show love to that person? I'm not saying be their very best friend all of a sudden. That could, you could probably creep them out if you tried to do that, right? But what would it take to show them the love of Jesus this season? Man, Jesus at Christmas and all the time, he calls us together into his loving presence. He invites us in. He makes room for all of us. Whether we think we deserve to be there, whether we think they deserve to be there or not, he makes room for every single one of us. You want to see the most perfect picture of love? No, no, yes, no. This was not a rhetorical one. This was, yeah. You want to see the most perfect picture of love? Check this out does not get deeper than this love right here. They say a picture speaks a thousand words, right? This speaks thousands of years. Thousands of years in uncomprehensible love that God did for us. And when, when I think of Jesus on the cross, you know, it's, I, I love being able to tell my daughters this. You know, I say, when we think of Jesus on the cross, this was for all the people that, that loved him and the people that were right there spitting on him and the people that were still causing a divide, all the people that did not want him, that rejected him, this was still for them too. This is the most perfect picture of love I think we could ever see, ever. I'd like to invite the worship team back up as we come to a close this morning. Jesus doing this, Jesus going on the cross, this, this was an ultimate act of love. This was a humility in love, a willingness to put someone else first, to put those who knew him first, to put those who rejected him first. For us, sometimes it means taking a simple step of building that bridge, being what that carpenter did and seeing two people feuding and saying, I'm going to build a bridge here. These people hate each other, but sometimes this gesture, this small gesture can spark a new relationship, can spark a feeling that maybe people didn't have in the first place or didn't realize was there. Sometimes it's being willing to listen and not defend. As as a guy, I have that problem, right? Someone says something, I want to have an answer, I want to be able to fix it. Sometimes it's just being willing to listen. Listening to someone can be an incredible act of love. It's always being willing to choose to see someone else not as the other, but as an equally loved child of God. Equally welcomed into his presence, equally drawn into and propelled out by his miraculous, divine, all-consuming love. This is God's love. This is the gift of Christ. This is the heart of Christmas. As we approach a Christmas day, I invite all of us, invite all, all of us here, Rediscover Christmas by rediscovering the overwhelming, all-encompassing, overpowering love that can only come from God. Where can we build bridges this week? Coming into Christmas, where can we build a bridge instead of building a wall? And let me end with this passage from Ephesians chapter 3. Would you all stand with me as I read this? Ephesians 3, 17 and 19 says this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And God loves us so much. And I don't know if I'll ever come to a point in my life where I fully understand the magnificence of God's love because it's so big. But I do know that it's for us, it's for everyone, and we get to be bridge builders and show people the incredible love of God this Christmas. Amen? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your love, God, that, that it, it's so big, it's so powerful that Scripture says that the love I have for my kids looks like hate compared to the love that you have for us. And, and I think it's so incredible that we get to be the receivers of this incredible love and that we in turn get to be the givers of this love to other people. God, I pray that our actions this year as we rediscover Christmas at home in our families, we are beacons of love for you. I pray as a church, we reach people for you by showing them your love. God, that it's, it's, not, our, it's not just our stance on politics or a stance in the world or a, a statement that someone makes that, that turns someone to you. It is the kindness of God and the love of God that will lead people to you. And I pray that we all act on that this year. This year and in next year, God. People will know who we are because of our actions. Those actions will be ones that love you and your people. So God, live that in us today. Let it leave these walls and into our community. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen.